Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I just thank you for the church community of first Balamani that we are. And though we're no longer gathered together as a family in our church building this morning, I pray that as we receive your word, we will share it as the wider family wherever we hear these words. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to share with you two stories in the Bible of believers who are caught in the middle of great troubles around them. One was a battle siege and the other was a storm. But the interesting thing is that they did not let the troubles define them because they knew the Lord as king over everything. So the sermon is really about hope in the midst of troubles. The first story is in the life of the prophet Jeremiah, who was a prophet in the 8th century BC. And the context is in Jeremiah 32, verses 1 and 2, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. So Jeremiah is, he has been arrested because Zedekiah the king doesn't like his preaching. He's been telling the people, and unless you turn from uh, worshipping false gods, the Lord's going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to come, and it's looked upon as treason. So he's been arrested, but now the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has arrived, and he is besieging the city. And then Helen's going to read these words um, from Jeremiah 32, verses 6 to 10. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come and say to you, Buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him seventeen shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed and had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. So the Babylonian army is besieging the city of Jerusalem. Now think about what that means. The Babylonian army has surrounded the city and is not allowing anything in or out. They are starving out the city. They are waiting for sickness and death to get so bad that those who survive will surrender just to save their own lives. Now we know that this siege of Nebuchadnezzar on Jerusalem began historically on the 15th of January, 588 BC. Verse 1 says that God spoke to Jeremiah in the 10th year of King Zedekiah's Jerusalem reign, which was also the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian reign. So the prophecy is coming between April and October of 587 BC, which means that the siege has already been happening one and a half years. One and a half years into this siege of food getting shorter, of rationing, of death within the city, of dwindling hope, God speaks to Jeremiah. And what does God say into the midst of the hunger and fear and crying out to him? 
What did verse 7 say? Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anathoth, because as the nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Hanamel wants to buy to sell a field. And he knows that God's law stated that the nearest relative had to redeem the property of a relative so that it would not leave the family circle. So Hanamel comes to Jeremiah because he has to buy it. Because it's the law says. The interesting thing is that the village of Anathoth is in the territory of Benjamin. And that's where the Babylonians have already conquered. So who in their right minds would buy a piece of land that has already fallen into enemy hands? And in times of war, what you need is silver to survive, not a piece of land you can't use. So you keep your silver to buy food and other things. But Jeremiah knows this request is from the Lord. We read that in verse 8. So he obeys the Lord and buys the land for 17 shekels of silver. He signs the legal documents and he has the purchase legally witnessed and sealed. You can read about that in verses 10 to 12. So the, the field is bought and you can imagine Hanamel thinking as he leaves with his bag full of silver that Jeremiah is such a fool buying land that he'll never get to use. So why would the Lord ask Jeremiah to buy a field in any enemy occupied land one and a half years into a siege that they, God says they're already going to lose? And the answer is quite simple. God wants to bring hope to his people in that city through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet, and often the Lord asks his prophets to communicate his word, not just verbally, but visually. The Babylonians will take this city. That is what Jeremiah has been prophesying. But words of hope come in verse 15, where God says, Houses, fields, and villiards will again be bought in this land. God promises that in the future, his people will live here. They will farm here. They will make their home here again. And so to demonstrate the reality of this promise, the Lord asks Jeremiah to buy this field, to show his confidence in a day when they will again have the Lord, the land as their home. The Lord has given his people a future of hope, in the midst of a battle, they're going to lose. It's hope beyond the defeat, beyond the deportation into uh, Babylonia. Jeremiah, if you read on the chapter, he prays a lovely prayer and prays to God. And then you read these words of the Lord in verse 40, verse 40 and 41, that the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. And this is what the Lord says. I will make an everlasting covenant with my people. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. These words are not just promises for a new day, a new land, a good life. 
they go way beyond this. This is about a, a new relationship with God that we know comes through Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Christ, who will come and walk this land and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come. So here is an amazing promise given to Jeremiah in the middle of a battle siege. And to illustrate the reality of this promise, Jeremiah buys a field under enemy occupation because his message is one of hope of a new day that is coming. So here's a great story of, 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 of Jeremiah bringing hope to the people of Jerusalem in the midst of a most devastating siege that was happening all around them. The second story I want to share with you today is from Acts chapter 27. This is coming near the end of Acts. Um, Paul has been under trial um, by the Jews because of proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And he doesn't like the way the, the court case is going. And so he appeals to Caesar to hear his trial. And as a Roman citizen, he has the right, the right to appeal uh, for Caesar to hear his case. So he's under arrest still. He's a prisoner on the gospel and he's on his way to Rome to face this trial. And so as part of the journey, uh, we come to Acts chapter 27. He is taken under guard on a grain ship, which is sailing from Fair Havens to Phoenix in Crete, which was a distance of 40 miles. And just as they leave the harbour to cross the ocean to, to make this journey, a storm comes from nowhere. And for two weeks they have been driven across the Mediterranean, desperately trying to survive and reach a safe harbour. And this is the words that we read in Acts 27 verses 33 to 39 that Helen's going to share with us now. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. If you've ever been to Malta, you would have probably seen St Paul's Bay where they all apparently swam ashore after the ship ran aground on the sandbank and broke up. So think about this story as well. Paul is in the same storm as everyone else. But because an angel of God had appeared to him earlier and gave him the promise that everyone would be safe, you can read that appearance in verses 23 and 24, because the angel appeared to him and gave him the Lord's promise that everyone would be safe, he's not afraid of the storm. Because he has this promise of from God, he encourages everyone else to eat. He takes some bread himself, he thanks God for it, and he starts to eat. Now, the storm is still raging all around them. But he knows they will need energy for what's ahead. And so he eats the bread and encourages other people to eat. Now, if you've ever gone through something as frightening as this, you go right off your appetite. 
<laughs> you don't feel like eating. But Paul's strength of character in this um, storm scene by eating bread and it encourages everybody else to follow his example. In fact, twice in this chapter, the centurion listening to the advice of Paul is listening to the advice of Paul. And who's Paul? He is the man his prisoners, his uh, men are guarding. Who listens to a prisoner's advice? But Paul obviously stands out uniquely amidst the fear and panic of everyone else. He just doesn't speak words of hope and encouragement. You can see by the, the, the way he, he stands that he is strong and that he is not afraid. He is demonstrating that hope by the way he handles this situation by eating in the middle of a storm that has battered them for 14 days. So here are two stories of hope in the midst of a chaos happening all around them. Two stories of hope in times of trouble. And that hope gave them a strength in the middle of their troubles. So what was the basis of that hope? And for both it was because the Lord had given them a promise. For Jeremiah, it was the Lord's promise that beyond the destruction of the war with the Babylonians, the people would have a hope again in this land. For Paul, it was the Lord's promise that everyone would survive. So here is a lesson. In fact, lesson one about hope in times of trouble. That only when you put your hope in something greater and stronger than your present circumstances, can you face the battle or the storm? Wishful thinking is not hope. A positive attitude does not bring hope. But hope in the promises of a mighty God and his presence with you, that changes your perspective on whatever you're facing now. Such hope that reaches from God and his promises into our world is what Paul witnessed to in that storm. He may have been a prisoner to the Romans, but he was freer than anyone on that ship because of Jesus. Such hope lifted Jeremiah's eyes beyond the army that surrounded his city to a piece of land that his family would farm one day in the future. And so, although Jeremiah may have been under house arrest, held captive in a city, that was being besieged until it fell, he was freer than anyone else because of the hope that God's promise had given to him. Now we don't have a specific prophecy in scripture that I know of directly related to our present anxiety over the COVID-19 virus, but we do have greater promises that covers every trouble, every fear, every uncertainty. And if Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, we stand on his promises today. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises like, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And no one who believes in me will ever die. Jesus can make these promises because... He was crucified and he was resurrected. And his life, death and resurrection have breathed hope into this world. Hope because human death has been broken because of Jesus' resurrection. Hope because 
our wrongs are not held against us because of the forgiveness that Jesus' death brings as our ransom payer. Hope for all who trust in Jesus, because he's the King, he's the Lord, and we entrust our lives to him. We are called always to be witnesses of the Lordship of Jesus and to the promises that he can make as Lord, and those promises cover all our lives. And they allow us not to be determined by our present circumstances, great though they are. So here's a story from Sri Lanka. In the 1990s, war was raging in the north of Sri Lanka, and people had become hopeless and depressed with all the destruction and death and fear of that war. Roads were littered with filth, and the gardens of homes were uh, unkempt. And the Youth for Christ leader for northern Sri Lanka at that time, a man called Suri Williams, decided that he was going to keep a happy and beautiful home in spite of all the terror and confusion around him. So he and his family carefully tended their flower plants, even though the bombs were destroying many yards and many others had given up in their yards. One day they decided not only that they would keep their own yard clean and beautiful with flowers, they also would clean up the road outside their home. And they started to do that. And one day an Indian army, army officer from a camp nearby saw this being done and he, he challenged his soldiers to start a clean-up campaign of the roads near their camp. The neighbours were also encouraged to prove the areas surrounding their houses. And suddenly, keeping a tidy home in a time of war became symbolic of hope. So here are two stories of hope. Uh, Jeremiah and Paul living with hope in the midst of a very distressing and chaotic situations are around them. How can we light up our world with the hope of Jesus that we have? And I want us to think about these implications of what it means to be living as people of hope in, in this week ahead. For some of us, maybe connect with your neighbours in a new way because you are a Christian and Jesus is your Lord and King. Maybe there's an opportunity to pray with your your family through this time and let them hear your simple prayers for God's help. What a memory they will take with them the rest of their lives that in the midst of a global pandemic, my father and mother prayed us through those times. If you have hope, you will be an encourager and a helper. If Jesus is king and he reigns on high, then everything we do is a witness to our joy in him. Amen. Let us pray for others at this time. O Lord, we thank you for every day that you give to us. We thank you that you're always with us. We thank you that you are our good shepherd, And in times of trouble, you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. In this time of crisis, we pray for those who work in the healthcare system. We pray for their safety and strength as well as their stamina and resilience. 
We pray for those who are presently unwell, whether in hospital and at home. This is a difficult time to support them as family and friends. Lord, may you be their help and strength today. Lord, we pray that you will take away the fear, the anxiety from our hearts, and the uncertainty over our future. May your Lordship reign over us today. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for our political leadership. We pray you'd give wisdom to the leaders of our World Health Organization globally. But I pray, Lord, that each of us may know your presence with us today and our loved ones. And as we think of our friends that come into our minds in these days ahead, may that remembering enable us to pray for them during this time. In this time of anxiety and worry, Lord, may our strength and trust be in you and your presence, and may that trust be a shining light of peace to all around us in this troubling storm. Hear our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.